to explain it to me like I'm a 10-year-old. Today, I'm very lucky to have Benjamin Smith with me. Ben is the founder of Disco, a men's skincare brand that sells award-winning skincare products for men, like eye sticks, facial masks, and different soaps. Ben founded his company in 2019 in Austin, Texas, and after only being in business for three years, Disco is sold at Target and Neiman Marcus and has been used by over 150,000 people. He was also was named in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I'm so excited for our interview today. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? Hey, Charlie. So nice to, uh, to be chatting with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, great to meet you. I'm so excited to this podcast. So to kick things off, my first question for you today is, is what made you want to start Disco? Yeah, so I had a number of skin issues that I suffered with in the uh, middle part of my 20s. So, you know, while I was sort of, you know, selling my gyms, which is what I did before I uh, started Disco, I was going through the process of trying to fix my skin, you know, acne, razor burn, these types of things that many men around the country and the world experience, and just didn't really feel like there was a, there was a brand that spoke to me, right? You had a lot of innovation occurring in the grooming world. So think like Dollar Shave Club and Harry's, but for whatever reason, skin just didn't seem to be a priority for, for most men. And, you know, as a consequence, there was not really many brands that service men's skincare needs. So once I was able to kind of solve my skin issues, I realized like, why isn't there a brand that basically, you know, solves the problems that I was trying to solve. And so I went out to basically start, you know, that brand myself. And what you now see as Disco is kind of like the, the ideal brand and products that, that I was really looking for as a consumer and, you know, really just looking to try to bring that same experience to men all around the country. Well, you know, uh, another, another you know, problem with the industry is that this, all the, the brands that have been out there are usually like very, very masculine. They don't really work for a lot of men. You know, why did you think the market evolved that way? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, a lot of that is to do with the way that, you know, skincare products were distributed historically, which is mostly through like big box retailers and, and mass grocery. So think like grocery stores, Costco, Walmart, even Target a little bit, but they've become more premium recently. And as a consequence, most of the brands that were there were just really masculine, sort of like antiquated um, brands such as like Old Spice and Axe and Dove and Nivea. And there's, there's nothing wrong with those businesses. Like those are wonderful businesses, of course. And they solve problems and they do a good job, largely speaking, um, from a product advocacy standpoint. But the reality is like most of the, the world and the market had changed in the last decade to, to include much sleeker, much sexier brands in pretty much every category. And, and the one that was really left behind was men's skincare. And there's two reasons for that. One, in general, less men use skincare products than women, as you can probably imagine. The numbers that I've seen are around 20% of adult males over the age of sort of like 22 or 23 use skincare products versus, you know, women, which tends to be, you know, 80 plus percent of them who use skincare products. So you don't have as a large a percentage of men using them. And then as a consequence, the brands that do exist tend to just gravitate towards like more masculine positioning and branding, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think given where society is heading, where more men are using skincare products, and they're starting to have more options from a skincare brand standpoint. It just made perfect sense for us to really target uh, and position ourselves to, to customers that were looking for a brand that wasn't necessarily like overly masculine, but also not, you know, sort of overly feminine. We're somewhere sort of in between. 
some people might say that like not taking an aggressive stance on your positioning can actually lead to you selling to nobody. But I, I actually would argue in our case, it's the opposite and that there is quite a few um, different types of men that were yearning for a skincare brand that, you know, was at times masculine, but at times also was really educational and taught them the importance of taking care of their skin too. So that's what we've tried to accomplish with the way our brand looks. Well, what was your experience in skincare before starting Disco? I didn't actually have any experience besides just at a consumer level. So, so the way we sort of edged for that um, and solved for my lack of knowledge was bringing in an expert from the outset. So not only did we partner with best in class manufacturing and, and chemistry partners, I also brought in a world-class dermatologist who'd actually been a, uh, a friend of my mother's growing up um, or, or a friend of uh, my mother's when I was growing up. And she was actually my dermatologist. So she was a wonderful fit because, you know, we'd already worked together, um, me as her patient and um, knew each other quite well. So she was happy to step in and help me formulate the products initially and has stayed on as our chief medical officer ever since. So, so really having like that clinical expertise in my corner to kind of help me sift through the noise um, with certain ingredients and formulas and textures and whatnot, you know, even with our chemistry team has been super helpful, obviously, because, you know, I don't come from the skincare space or, or the cosmetics industry. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think being a newcomer helped you have a fresh view on skincare and in a new perspective? Yeah, I would definitely say um, from a branding perspective, for sure. What you've basically seen over the last 20 to 30 years is that, you know, many of the big players, like the holding companies like Estee Lauder and um, P&G and Unilever have all said that they think men's skincare is, is on the precipice of exploding in a good way, but none of them have been able to figure that out themselves. So they've kind of all been sitting on their hands and just waiting to acquire brands that are able to finally crack that uh, sort of like men's skincare stigma around actually getting men to use skincare products. So to, to the extent that like, you know, being an outsider is beneficial, I would say in some ways, yes, because I've been able to kind of partner with people that, you know, necessarily aren't that aren't necessarily from the industry. And because of that, we've been able to think a little bit outside of the box with the products that we've launched, the form factors we've used, the way we market and speak to customers. And I guess we don't have that bias that, you know, it's still going to be a really tough, you know, egg to crack. So we've been able to kind of risk, take some risks and a lot of them have paid off. So in short, I would say, yes, it it has been beneficial. There are certainly some things that we've learned the hard way, um, which I'm happy to talk about too. Um, But for now, yeah, I'd say it's been, it's been fun kind of, figuring things out as we, uh, as we go. Yeah. Well, well, tell me about some of Disco's first products. What were, what were they like? Yeah. So, um, we launched with seven products initially, um, five facial products and then two body products. If I could do it over again, to be honest, I would probably launch with less products, but you know, the thinking with the seven was really, we wanted to launch a full routine of, of five, you know, sort of basic or core, uh, skincare products, as well as two body products, the deodorant and body wash, which most men already use, or the vast majority of them do. So therefore, we could basically use the body products to entice men to try the brand and then basically upsell them or, or sort of hold their hand and educate them into using the facial skincare products. Um, so that's kind of how we thought about things. The, the initially and, and, and still to this day, best performing product has actually been our eye cream, which comes in a stick form, which to be honest with you, we actually almost didn't include like at the last moment, I almost, um, I almost nixed it when we were launching because it took longer to arrive from a shipping and, and formulation standpoint than some of the other products, but 
it ended up working out. And now that's our best selling product by an order of magnitude. So we got a bit lucky there, to be honest. Well, yeah, I'm really curious how, how they evolved in today, into today. Like, how did they get from those seven products to the, is it, is it 25 you have now? Yeah. So, so technically like we have some kits, which is probably how you're arriving at the 25 number. We only actually have 10 total products. Um, but because of the way we like set up our kits and our sets, and then we also have some merchandise as well, like five or six products there. So that's probably how you arrived at the 25. Um, but yeah, 10, 10, you know, sort of core skincare products. Um, we're probably going to launch between two to three more this year. And then from there, we'll probably only, um, launch a few more in, in our existence because we really just want to be the best at, you know, facial skincare. We don't want to become what we call like a platform brand where essentially we just like, you know, go skincare first, then we go to grooming and then we go to hair, then we go to shave, et cetera. I actually think being the best at skincare is where the biggest opportunity is. It's, it's perhaps the most difficult one to crack, but I think we're doing a decent job of it. And if we continue to stay the course and go down the path we've already embarked on, you know, we should be quite successful in the end. Yeah. Did, did the ingredients change at all? Yeah. So, so here and there, like we don't really tell customers this much, but um, that much about this, but yeah, of course we're like constantly updating our formulas um, going forward. We're actually going to be more transparent about it because it actually, you know, I think from a branding and marketing standpoint shows that you're looking to continue to invest in improving the products. But yeah, for a while now we've been quietly improving like the packaging, some of the um, like the viscosity or basically like the texture of, of some of the formulas to be um, higher quality or whatever it is you want to call it. So we've been doing that kind of quietly over the last few years, but going forward, um, we're actually launching a new version of our iStick towards the end of this year, both like the actual packaging. So it's improved and dispenses better. And then also adding in another really powerful ingredient to uh, the formula itself as well. And we'll obviously be very public about that because it's our best selling SKU. So um, yeah, that's kind of how we thought about like iterating on the formulas in the past. And then going forward, we'll be more public about it, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, how do you reach your customers? You know, the hardest part of a, a new startup is finding your customers. Can you tell us about the direct consumer side and the retail side? Yeah. So most of our business is done direct to consumer through our website, um, our e-commerce storefront. We drive most of our customers on that channel through what you would call just like digital ads. So think like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Google, YouTube ads, um, as well as some email stuff too. And then, you know, about five to 10% of our business is retail. We're looking to kind of build that out over time. Um, but for now, you know, we're mostly focused just selling on the internet and we've seen good success with our iStick and a few other products there. So we'll continue to scale the business that way just because it's easy and it's simple. And we obviously like, like, for example, if you were to buy a product from us, we would own the whole experience. In other words, like you, you, you know, you'd get emails from us. We'd own your data. We'd be able to sort of up and cross sell you other products over time. And of course we're available um, if you ever have any questions or concerns or problems with your order or just, you know, skincare problems in general, you know, through our support line since you bought from us. So that's our preferred way of kind of, you know, chatting with and interfacing with customers. Um, but obviously, like over time, it's really important to kind of um, mix up your your channel distribution to include retail, too, just because, you know, at the end of the day, retail is how you really scale and and get more eyeballs and also drive awareness. So we're acutely aware of that and are working on that, too, in the background. Mm-hmm. I know one of the principles that disco is based on is being supernatural, right? You said that. Why is that so important? Yeah. So, so for me in particular, you know, I come from a health and wellness background. I used to own gyms before this. So I've spent quite a, quite a few years in like the sort of like better for you or wellness industry. And I think one problem that um, 
I see with, with many different products and consumables that people are using every day in and around their house, on their bodies, you know, the food they eat, et cetera, is that oftentimes there's like hidden ingredients or, or sort of ingredients that people don't know much about that are actually quite bad for you. So when I was building Disco um, and we had our team of chemists and Dr. Eva, our chief medical officer involved when we were formulating the products, my ask of them was like, of course, we want the products to work super well and include what we call like active ingredients. So if you look at any ingredient label, the um, highest percentage ingredients are always listed first. So for example, if you have 10 ingredients, the first th two or three are usually like the big ingredients. And from there, they're just sort of like secondary, the other seven or eight. So with us, you know, of course we wanted to include very powerful actives, but I wanted to include as minimal ingredients as possible so that we kind of avoided like the fluff of chemicals and unnecessary ingredients and fillers and things, but also at the same time, making sure our products worked really well and were really potent and effective because with men in general, like I said, not a large, you know, maybe one fifth of, of men sort of use skincare products. So when we do convince people to buy it, the products have to work, otherwise they won't come back. So um, again, like in short, the, the ask of our formulation partners and our, and our chief medical officer was, how do we create products that are natural, have minimal ingredients, still work really well and have powerful active ingredients. And that's kind of like the philosophy I live my own life by with the food I eat, the you know cleaning supplies I use, the skincare products I use, et cetera. So that's kind of pulled through into Disco's strategy around ingredients as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did you really figure out to make those really good products, but also have them be natural as well? Basically, like I, I found the seven or eight products that I, I wanted to include in the initial lineup. It was might have been closer to 10. And then we cut it down to seven. And I basically sent, you know, our manufacturing partners three or four examples of products that I liked in the space. And I gave them like what we call like a comp or a comparable. And from there, we just created like what we call a base formula, which is similar to the ones I sent. But, but of course not the same. And then basically we take those base formula formulas and then just iterate them over time, right? So let's take the eye stick, for example, like we created the initial one that included the actives and the textures and everything, the active ingredients and the textures that I liked. And it probably took us anywhere from like seven to 10 iterations from the initial base to come to the one that we sell now in market. So one thing or two things that I think we did really well in the beginning, that said, there are of course many things we didn't do well and many mistakes I made, we made together, but um, we're the brand. I think we did a good job with the brand building something that's exciting, relatable, easy to speak with um, or relate to rather. And then the products, number two, um, you know, we definitely didn't skimp on products at the end of the day, like brand and product are super important. The rest is sort of just marketing. So we made sure to invest ample time, resources, um, money, et cetera, into both the brand and the products. Yeah, so I, I know about a week ago, you made a, a short post on LinkedIn about, well, Disco is almost about to fail. And you talked about the importance of resilience and, and the will to survive. Can you talk a bit more about that and, and how you built that resilience in yourself? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think resilience is a personality trait or a trait of one's personality that you know, to some extent, like you kind of inherit either through like genetics or also a little bit um, from just like learned experience, probably a combination of both. And I'm fortunate in that I had very tough parents who, you know, raised me very well and, and afforded me many opportunities, but they also didn't um, give me everything I wanted and made sure that, you know, I knew that I had to work for things and um, really created and fostered like a culture of determination. So, so I was, you know, very fortunate in that I had like a really wonderful upbringing and parents that were like the appropriate amount of tough on me, um, which is hard to achieve in this day and age. Right. And then from there, I think I've just been 
intrinsically like really motivated on my own to kind of build things um, and, and companies that, you know, impact and, and help people. And then of course, like create value for myself and investors and, and, and team members at the same time too. So I'm sort of motivated by two things, right? It's like helping people feel better about themselves in this case, like feeling more comfortable in their skin, which is really our mission. And then also like helping build, um, you know, wealth, I guess, for lack of a better phrase to be direct with you for investors and friends that have invested in our, in our team members and employees, and, you know, I guess as a consequence myself as well, it's just really motivating um, when you're able to kind of help people and make money at the same time. So I've always kind of had that in me even before disco. And that, that's kind of how I've been able to stay resilient, even when things get really tough, you know, so we've run out of money a couple of times. We've had our ad accounts shut down, which are their main sources of, you know, revenue generation and customer acquisition. We've had, you know, out of stocks, we've had pretty much like all the basic like tenant issues that you could have in a business like Disco's. Um, and I would say it's kind of tough to say exactly what percentage of people would have kept going, but I'll tell you, like, there's been multiple times where, you know, I've had to like put charges on my credit card. I've had to transfer money to the account. Um, we've run out of money, et cetera. So it's really just about believing in the mission and that you're going to succeed at the end of the day that I think keeps me, keeps me going. And, um, you know, now I've been in business, Disco has been in business long enough for me to really know that like, Hey, I just need to see this through and, um, you know, it will become the big business that I hope it, it becomes one day. And how do you find that, that same trait of resilience in, in the people that you hire and even the people that you partner with? Yeah. So, so hiring is actually like pretty straightforward in my opinion. Um, it's pretty easy to tell. If, if someone is a good culture fit. And then it's also pretty easy to tell if they're not once they start. So, so I really try to think about hiring in a really simple fashion, which is like, we only hire people that we're, we have a very high certainty around um, really fitting into the culture well. And what that means specifically for us is basically like, we have a few things that might seem a little bit different than most, which is one, like we don't make any comments on like political or social or racial issues, not because we don't you know, stand up for, for what's right in the world, but just because, you know, at the end of the day, like we sell men's skincare products and that's what we're good at. And that's what we understand. If there's other noise that distracts us from being the best at selling men's skincare products, then frankly, like that's a disservice to our customers. So in our opinion, um, the culture we've built is basically around like just helping men first and foremost. And if anything else comes along, like that's a bit of a distraction. So that's really important that people are aligned with that. And if they're not, that's totally fine too. Disco is just not a good fit. And then, you know, secondly, I'd say extreme ownership and radical accountability are really important. If, if you or any of your audience has ever read um, Jocko Willink's book on extreme ownership, which if they haven't, I recommend it. It basically just preaches a, a sort of philosophy of taking ownership of, of things in your life, whether that's at the workplace, um, in your relationships, um, whatever it may be. And, and that sort of culture, what it, what it basically means is like, if I'm in charge of marketing and something goes wrong with marketing, I take ownership of that. Even if it was the person below me in the org structure or above me, it's just important for everyone to take ownership because at the end of the day, that creates a culture where people aren't blaming each other. We solve problems faster and, and there's no real negativity around like playing the blame game, like I mentioned. So that's really important too. And then I think thirdly, um, just hiring like reasonably motivated people who are logical is super important too. And there's some ways you can test that in the interview process. And um, we do that as well. So yeah, I think just having people that are really aligned with our mission, number one, 
two are, are willing to take responsibility and ownership of their of their role and their responsibilities. Um, and then three are, are generally like logical. They're interested in learning and reading, listening to podcasts, et cetera. Those are really like the three tenants from there. And of course, like if it's a technical role, we need them to be technically competent at that thing too. But um, that's kind of how we think about finding resilience and, and good culture fits at Disco. So my final question for you today is if you look into the future and, and Disco has been a, a giant success, what does that look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I think at, at the end of the day, like the way that we're going to build a big business, which of course at the same time helps men along the way, is really changing the culture and the stigma around what people think of men using skincare products, right? So of course, like more modern folks, women included, generally don't think there's anything wrong with using skincare products because they know that it's you know good for you in the long term, preserves your appearance, um, et cetera. And it's really just like a good investment in self-care. But we're still up against a culture that uh, it is changing. So that's good for us, I think. I think our timing is, is good. Um, but we're up against a culture that still doesn't fully value and understand the importance of taking care of their skin, at least from a male perspective. So if we're able to kind of change that culture and that narrative, I think we'll become a truly an enormous business that, um, you know, at the end of the day is, is really built on, on helping people and helping men feel more comfortable in their skin. So that obviously makes me rest easy at night. And I think, you know, our team as well. So that's kind of how we're thinking about things in the long term. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Well, thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed interviewing so much and I, I really learned so much from you. Thank you. Yeah, Charlie, no worries. Thanks for having me on. It was a real pleasure chatting with you.